Uh, hey, 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 welcome to Creative Block. We're your hosts, Gene. And V, we interview people in creative industries about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We ask people on Twitter if they have specific topics they want us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have... I'm going to take a crack at this. Donnie <laughs> Mikhaili. Perfect. Yes! Woo! Great. <laughs> a fellow Jew. Yeah, um, beautiful I, Jewish pronunciation. Yeah, you got to get the ch in there. Uh, Donnie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. I've listened to many episodes, and I love the show. Thank you I so much. I appreciate this. Well, it's our pleasure, too. Um, you and I have been friends for quite a while. Um, for context, those who know my work, Donnie was my writing partner on the development for Planet Panic. Um, and, it was my uh, honor. It was it was a it was a great it was a great partnership. I really enjoyed uh, working with you on it. It's sad that we never got and never got to see uh, the light of day, but maybe someday we'll see. Um, never say never in this weird industry. I feel um, like it will happen. You know, we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that eventually. Um, so you've had a, a very long career writing. Um, you most recently worked as a uh, supervising producer. Is that right? Yeah, I was supervising producer on a show that's going to be on Apple Plus, mm -hmm. and it's a, a TV show version of the webcomic Strange Planet. Yeah, uh, keep an eye out for that whenever mm -hmm. it actually comes out. Um, but take us back to young Donnie, and <laughs> uh, how did you get your start uh, writing? So how did I get my start writing? Well, professionally, I don't... I don't want to go back too far. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I am willing to. We'll we we can we can do early days childhood Donnie. Um, but I think what you're asking is more like professionally. So um wherever you feel like your journey starts, you know, everyone has a different answer. Yeah. yeah. Um uh well, okay. It probably it probably really started when I was a kid. Uh I was a a, a ventriloquist. Um, for a couple of years. Okay, this is good. That is cool. That I never is... told you about that. No, I've never heard anyone be a ventriloquist before in real life. So I'm very excited. I was at eleven, and it started because my best friend got a a ventriloquist dummy. Um, back then I would call a call it a ventriloquist figure. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't use the D word. Um, Interesting. Oh, like but, an action figure. But yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Um, and so he he got one from the Sears catalog, and so I I got one too, so that we could we could you know have a, a common activity, so we could do it together, um, and we would pretend that we were ventriloquists like professionally, and we we didn't like get excited about learning it, but when we'd get together with the with the with the ventriloquist figures. We'd pretend we were like, you know, entertainers or on a cruise ship or something like that. I love um, this so much. <laughs> this is great. This is great. My buddy never, he never, he never really got, he never really got like that serious about um, learning how to do it. But, you know, the, 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 the figure came with instructions on how to become a ventriloquist. And I took some books out of the library and, um, we also started like listening to records, you know, from ventriloquists. Uh, and anytime one was on TV, you know, we we would we would see if we could, you know, um, 
if we if it would time out well to watch it watch the performance and stuff but um so i i did get really serious about trying to learn how not to move my lips while i was talking and all that stuff and i got pretty good at it at least for an 11 year old i don't know sure. how how good i was as a ventriloquist actually but you know anybody who is either an adult or a kid at that time and again it could have just been my age they were people were really into it really excited about it so i wound up doing a lot of birthday parties this is such a fascinating origin i just like Nobody talks about being a ventriloquist. You know, none of our our, our uh, guests have been like, "Yeah, I was a ventriloquist." That's that's uh, very unique. There could yeah. be a reason. There was Maybe. there's some shame associated at different points ah. in my life, but um, the uh uh, I got I got like uh, pretty far with it as far as like local. I grew up in Rochester, New York, so mm-hmm. I I did some big talent shows i won a couple talent shows and um big for rochester and i got on the i got on local television as well wow uh there was a guy who did a show where mostly you just watched kids playing atari and cartoons hmm. those were the two things he was the host and his name like on screen was ranger bob and mm-hmm. it, he did the ranger bob buckaroo club and he at some point realized he could have kids on doing you know um quote unquote talent so i was on the ranger bob buckaroo club um this would have been in the very early 80s um could have been 1980 or 81 mm-hmm. and uh, so we didn't have um dvrs naturally or yeah uh you know there was no there was no streaming or and most people didn't even have um vcrs yet mm-hmm. um but my dad's roommate had one. And so he taped me uh, at, on the Ranger Bob Buckaroo Club. Um, and so there was a videotape that existed of me performing as a ventriloquist. But um, uh, after I watched it, he figured that like, okay, he saw himself on television. Like, that's what he thought the point of taping oh, it was. Yeah. So oh, it. interesting. And then, yeah, after that, he was like, okay, so he saw it. So I could keep using this tape for other stuff. And I think he taped it over with an episode of Charlie's Angels. <laughs> now, so do I, you wish you had that still? I really do wish I had that tape. Yeah, yeah there's some pictures, um, but that doesn't that that's not the same thing, naturally. That's really cool, though. That, like, did you did you write your own bits? Like, how did you come up with your material? Because like you had to do so much. You were doing the birthday parties and then you went all the way to tv so like I, yeah no i was really um not writing at that time <laughs> right <laughs> this is why i kind of brought it up because that was like the the origin of the writing started with not writing <laughs> <laughs> and 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 it it um there was a lesson um that i learned from it because i was getting all my material from the back of like the how-to books oh, or i would you know okay. crib jokes from uh other ventriloquists um right. performances i don't think i came up with a single joke on my own um i could improv a little bit with the with with my ventriloquist figure but um i didn't like it i hated doing that um because i always wanted to be prepared that was my big focus um but then i went to uh vent haven kentucky which is it's not always called vent haven it's it's a town that turns into a ventriloquist town one 
weekend a year um, when they have the ventriloquist convention. Mm. And so I went to the ventriloquist convention, which was amazing. Um, but at the end of it, everybody performs. And I thought at this point, I, I was 12. I thought I, I really had the edge because, you know, just being a kid doing it, I thought was enough. But it turns out, uh, well, two things. One, actual adult professional ventriloquists, for the most part, aren't, or at least they weren't in 1980, like super... Um, supportive warm loving people i think right. maybe that's changed yeah maybe the community is mm. different now but at the time they were really like Ugh, what's this kid doing here um, gatekeeping yeah. ventriloquists mm. yeah so i went up on stage um well and, and then another thing happened which was the kid there was another kid at the convention and he went on before me he was one year younger than me therefore cuter Ah. And he had a custom built ventriloquist figure so it had a lot more articulation and he had really mastered it so really looked like it was coming to life meanwhile i was shaking around my sears dummy you know <laughs> right um and he had written his own material whereas mine was all canned uh and he crushed it he went on it in front of me he was like loud commanding and snappy with the jokes and they loved him and then I, I went on and I seemed to lose my breath. <laughs> mm. I had my first experience of stage fright. My oh, jokes, wow. you know, they had heard them all before. I didn't make it all the way through and started crying on stage. <laughs> oh, no. no. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Um, what, a, what a story. Yeah. So um, I think I, 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 I think after that, I was realizing like, I, I, I don't know if it was a direct thought, but like, I figured like I, I should never not write my own material <laughs> interesting <laughs> at least yeah mm. um so I think that was part of uh part of, also I liked writing short stories a lot mm. uh, when I was a little kid I remember writing one short story about getting the ability to breathe fire and torching the school which is a good thing that you're the kid was... that people are supposed to look out for aren't you yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's a good thing that I did that in the '80s because if I'd right, done that nobody, like, yeah, any later, I, there probably would, not, would have been consequences. Not be as good. Yeah. Um, interesting. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, <laughs> where uh, did you go to college? I went to uh, film school um, at uh, SUNY Purchase State University, and um, I think going to film school actually helped. Like, I didn't, I didn't. Um, target animation that wasn't my focus I didn't I didn't even know you could have a career in animation the first time I found out that there were animation writers I was talking to a guy who later turned was a later became a colleague on a show hmm. um, but I won't reveal his name because I asked him do you think if I could do that kind of work like he said no <laughs> oh damn yeah um uh so Once again gatekeeping man what is with people it, mm -hmm. well that's what I love about the generations that have come after i'm generation x mm -hmm. and what i really love about the generations that have followed is there is much less gatekeeping when i came to this i think it was no accident that i didn't know for a long time that it was a possible career oh i see okay I think yeah yeah people were just secretive and wouldn't really share information like i knew tv writers and they'd be very cagey about what they really did it took a long time to sort of like 
you know, um, get to a place where somebody would, you know, really let me know what it was about or um, it wasn't even until I was on SpongeBob that I got kind of like a opportunity to see what it was like uh, for a TV writer on a set. I had set experience because um, after film school, I did all kinds of crazy jobs, including working on sets. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I really did sort of like stumble into an animation writing. But I think the where the film school really helped was I was always um, uh, inspired to think visually. Mm. That's always mm-hmm. been a, a you know kind of a, a a big thing for me. I read a lot of comic books and I loved movies and loved animation my whole life so um uh even though i also enjoyed television very much i think i was really drawn to the to the visual storytelling aspects that were um up until more recently probably seen more strongly in other mediums than tv um and film being a big one we really concentrated on that kind of like you know visual storytelling that that is an approach versus dialogue like what can you really do with the image mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean i, I just don't th- I mean, we've we've heard it from a lot of people that like there was just not a lot of access to the knowledge even that animation is a possible career yeah and, like I, yeah go ahead. Well, i think it kind of comes with like new crafts every time there's like a new craft and people kind of get you know because animation is pretty recent at least that's the animation i feel like yeah so. in an actual actually lucrative way too yeah i think um now i meet younger people who are interested in animation writing that it's it it is often their focus i think a lot of them are, are coming to it um with shows like uh um rick and morty or right. um right you know, even like older stuff like The Simpsons. Well, I, I The Simpsons came out when I was in in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, before that, what we really had was all those Hanna Barbera clones of Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and they were sort of clearly written by people who were maybe it, like the creativity in in the uh, in the the storytelling wasn't their first priority. They seems more like kind of like they were um, um, punching a clock a little yeah. bit. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, there was a lot of creative stuff that was going on, but it didn't seem to be the like it is today by any means. No, I mean, it was a factory, right? Like all those old cartoons were like they saw dollar signs. And once they figured out a formula, they just kind of kept milking it. So all those shows kind of blur together. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've seen some crazy G.I. Joe episodes, for example. Like, <laughs> the creativity would sort of, like, filter through, but I think it was dependent, really, on somebody having um, something that they were bringing to it that wasn't necessary, you know, and that nobody was asking for. <laughs> yeah. I saw somebody tweet about it just yesterday, I think, and if they listen to this, you can call me out for not remembering who it was. But they were saying how, like, all those shows are so similar and it really doesn't make any sense why scooby-doo was the big breakout when they're all basically the same thing like it just seems totally arbitrary but i well, don't know maybe, maybe there's a reason i think scooby-doo was that the first one with that particular format and i'm a i'm actually a big scooby-doo fan so i'll defend scooby-doo until 
Um, I uh, also heard that um, for Scooby-Doo, the entry point for younger kids is that Scooby um, is very, he acts like a child for, so for kids, like, uh, like very young kids, they could just kind of have the entry point through the dog who they like uh identify with because he's scared all the time. And little kids are like scared a lot of times. And, and then, and then they can kind of like look up to the what's war like the other four characters is kind of like they're like older siblings kind of thing so in that sense it's like pretty well thought out uh i mean they probably stumbled upon it but it's like that's kind of psycho like the psychological i don't know yeah 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 it's very astute i mean um my love of uh scooby-doo is because it teaches kids to be uh skeptics yeah yes yeah. it does yeah mm-hmm. and um um it's always and a white guy it to the man too. yeah oh yeah <laughs> it, you know you're you're led to believe that it could be the supernatural but it, on that show they're very clear it's always some white dude in a mask yeah. there's mm-hmm. been other permutations of the show i'm you know because after years and years and years like doing they so couldn't many. keep doing the same thing so now there's been you know supernatural and stuff like that but um it's still you know means it's at the at it's always uh they're always detectives and it's always investigating the supernatural so at the very least it's always about pursuing a mystery and meaning digging deeper and and trying to find information what's the you know what are what's going on behind uh um, yeah well they're hippies see. right they're basically like teenage hippies of the time like um counterculture right and so like that's true yeah yeah. skeptical of of the man skeptical of the man they all represent a different like uh type of teen in that era and yeah so i guess it just kind of captured a lot of different types because everyone can relate to somebody honestly also mystery shows always do really well like mysteries or like you know when you think even like in books like the book series like Mm -hmm. Screw or like um that is is true huh yeah um what's it called the hardy boys like all these kind of like little group of kids solving mysteries yeah Yeah. it it, is a kid it's really um lovely i think when you start to have your first confrontations with um uh uh the, you know those things that that aren't aren't what they look like initially mm-hmm. that yeah. can be a really lovely thing to happen like where you start to unpack something and you're like oh there's more to this and um i can bring um my problem solving abilities to this story and try to figure out what's what's going on Mm-hmm. like uh it's engaging for a kid to realize like i can be a participant i think the great thing about mysteries um uh and also oh, it's also one of the great things about podcasts is like you're making it you're making it up as you're experiencing it mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out like oh it's even if it's like who's the killer mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out who the killer is so you're saying well it could have been so and so and they could have tried this or they could have tried that or they could have covered their tracks in this way um that's not in the story that's something you're bringing to it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 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 it's kind of like almost interactive in a sense yeah yeah 
Um, what was your first uh, writing gig in animation? Or was there a gig before animation? There were many, many gigs before animation. Um, <laughs> no, But yeah, writing-wise, I did do some writing in reality television, which was the least favorite part of my uh, of all of the jobs I've had. The uh, reality shows were like the most challenging for me. Um, how, do you, um, how would you kind of describe what it was like writing for reality TV? Well, I didn't do much. I should I should qualify, but you're you're taking so the the right the way the writing process works is first you are gathering a lot of footage, mm -hmm. and um, the writing really begins even at that point because you're starting to see if you haven't planned them, you're starting to see where the conflicts are between mm -hmm. the characters, and then. Um, making sure the producers and I did a little bit of associate producing too are you know pinpointing questions that can heighten those conflicts mm -hmm. and then um, once you have all the footage that gets transcribed and turned into uh, a kind of a, a, a paper edit so that they they pre-edit the footage by just moving so that's what a lot of the work of reality TV writers is, is taking those chunks of story that have, have been shot um, and making them into, you know, fit into either a, a specific format, depending on the show, mm -hmm. or, you know, highlighting really what those conflicts, going back to what those conflicts are and highlighting them even more. So then if they need to, they can gather additional footage they're often sort of like really manipulating footage and editing, mm. doing everything that they can to take whatever is in the footage and turn that into super compelling stories. Mm. And of course, like the, you know, the lowest hanging fruit is always not just the conflict, but the nasty, right. nastier conflicts. So mm -hmm. that's what made it challenging for me. I remember one right. time it didn't fit into a producer's idea of what the story was that one of our subjects had kids. Huh. It was a makeover show. And, um, it, you know, the makeover shows are built around these big dramatic reveals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the producers didn't want this guy's kids to come to the reveal. Huh. It was like, that's, that's uh, you know, and as a, a, a film student who had also some background in, in studying documentary, <laughs> mm. it just all seemed so you know sort of i mean you do that in documentary too mm. um but but you're less interested in creating those stories in documentary for just this kind of endless pipeline right. you know then then you you do usually typically have like a a little bit more of a a, a goal that's single-minded um with do documentary you, do you feel like working in reality tv kind of took a little bit of a toll on your mental health in terms of like you know, like having to write all these storylines, working with all these like conflicts that are not always the kind of conflicts that maybe you would have wanted to push towards. I, I can say that I don't like watching reality television when it comes on. I'm, I'm typically, with some exceptions, um, typically like it just makes me uncomfortable to hear the, that kind of music cues that they use and, mm. and the, um, the interview formats and all of that stuff brings back memories that aren't fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, but the so there was some writing in that area, but the first uh real 
professional writing job was on South Park. That is so I'd cool. love to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, the way that happened was I had a friend who was on staff and um and and th- th- my friend was also um his partner um in uh, romance is also friends with Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Mm-hmm. And and they both kind of talked me up and I didn't know this was happening. I kept sort of like joking with them, like, you know, who'd be great on South Park? It would be me. <laughs> I call it like passive aggressive begging. Yes. Hey, that's the best kind of begging. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say that from time to time, but I had zero expectation that they were taking me remotely seriously and um, also knew nothing as I mentioned before like people weren't sharing information about how that's done so I didn't even know you needed to have a writing sample to get a job like that I had nothing I had written screenplays because since film school I'd been writing Mm -hmm. and um, I I didn't these aren't really like professional jobs but I'd even gotten paid a few times from like sort of private individuals who you know either like a friend who wanted to be a director so he needed a screenplay to go out with or um, other circumstances like that. But I'd never been, you know, paid seriously. And I had no TV writing samples. So I only one of the screenplays I'd written, I'd written like seven by then. Only one of them was comedy. And I, I showed it to my friend, uh, the South Park writer and, and his partner is also in animation and said, should I submit this as a sample? They And they read it and they were like, please bury this. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's brutal. Yeah. don't show it to anybody don't speak and, to us um, again yeah uh, and and um this was after they had gotten me a, a meeting to my absolute shock with matt stone so that was coming up <gasps> and it wow. was coming up so fast i there was no time to generate a new sample so they were like just come up with some ideas for for episodes as really green i mean like incredibly green so i think the only one i can even remember was um it'd be fun to see South Park babies. Ah, of course, like, uh-huh. I feel okay. like that pitch has been done a zillion times. Yes. Now, it, if if it hadn't been done a zillion times before then, it's been done a zillion times after. Um, but that's the only one I even remember. So I had a bunch of pitches for episodes. Matt Stone was uh, coming off of uh, painkillers from a sports injury that he had. Oh, so wow. he, he, he wasn't in the, he, he was nice, but he wasn't in the greatest mood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the producer was very nice her name's Anne Garafino I had nothing but good experiences with her um but we, we I had the meeting and I knew so little about what to say or do you know they asked me if I had any questions um I was like what's it like working with Ween <laughs> <laughs> I love that band um not the question you're supposed to ask though and I most, mean you know what do you feel to... like? Okay, now, what what kind of questions would you ask now? <laughs> oh, now I would ask like, how do you like to, you know, how does your room work? You know, like mm. that, like just a lot of questions about um, what the day to day would look like, so that that way, um, like I did get really good advice. Um, I'm friends with a an actor named David Herman, and he's like one of the he went to purchase also. And he was one of the few people I knew who was at a level where I, I even knew he, he'd have an intelligent answer to the question, what do I do with this meeting, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I begged him for help. And he said, even though you, you probably feel like you're desperate, and I was super desperate to get that job, he said, 
you might feel like you're really desperate to get that job, but you have to remember you're interviewing them too. Hmm. Yeah. That's true. And what it's going to be like to work on that show, it's even if you get on there, if it's not a good fit, and this was he's this wisdom is um only been proven to me to be more and more um useful uh, mm. the older i get but he said you know it, even if you get on there and you think that this is the thing that you need um if it's not a good fit it can do more damage than it can help it's this is true. not something i was you know even really prepared to hear at the time but um it didn't turn out to be a problem because i didn't get the job right <laughs> And uh, I, I, I didn't. I, I sure didn't earn it from either the the uh, pitches I had or the uh, the performance at the uh, I, I had at the meeting. But a year went by, and um, I made a short. Um, and my buddy on the staff brought the short in to show it to them. Um, and it it wasn't uh, animated, but I I had some drawings and cutouts um, of images I printed out on the internet and stuck them on the ends of pencils and kind of waved them around and shouted a lot. And <laughs> so it sort of related to their animation style a little bit because it, I mean, marginally, because there were cutouts involved. Um, it was this kind of really angry short film about Mel Gibson being an right. anti-Semitic jerk. And uh, uh, so I don't- Was this before he said all those things or after? It was actually before he said say, most yeah. of the things that he's famous for in regards you already to knew. Mm. there was already evidence like yeah clear evidence uh of his anti-semitism was on the record yeah he sucks um and uh his his jesus movie is is also yeah. you know was kind of known for being anti-semitic so it was, it was about the time of the of that movie's release and right my um uh it it was about him getting hair plugs just so he was trying to convince <laughs> the studio that he could play Jesus mm. doesn't work. And also he, um, uh, you know, most of the movie is just him very painfully getting the hair plugs with a lot of, uh, yeah. crudely drawn gore. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know if they liked it or not, but then I got offered a job and I was a, a production assistant on a really um weak uh example of a uh vh1 reality show <laughs> it, it was one probably no one remembers this where they where they caught people singing in their cars mm -hmm. oh interesting huh. yeah it's kind of like you know like carpool karaoke yeah is a late night bit that's how i thought of it even at the time like this is enough this is like compelling enough for a bit on a late night show, but they had two seasons and uh, I was a PA and um, um, got a call that uh, I was getting going to get an offer to work on South Park um, as a writer. And I, I wow. couldn't believe it. And they said, the only thing is you have to come in tomorrow. Can you do that? wow like, Damn, absolutely wow. <laughs> wow that's so yeah. cool i love also like just kind of like um rewinding a little bit to what you're talking about making a short with cutouts on pencils i think that is so interesting and cool because when i was interviewing marley uh who's also a writer he also mentioned getting 
uh, noticed for writing by making some kind of like a crude stop motion kind of short. And I think that's like so interesting that for writers, it it is like a really, really good thing to consider making something that is like, that is um very low budget, that is still visual, but where you can really showcase your writing skills. I think that's really cool to hear. Yeah, I think a lot of people get very focused on writing samples and yeah. and rightly so. I mean, you need the writing samples to get the work, no doubt. Um, but then along with that, they get focused on getting managers, getting agents. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And then, you know, there, there comes a point where it's like you've been doing all your networking. Um, you've gotten all the meetings you can get on your own. Uh, and then it's like, what do I do next? I have I have scripts. Um, I've hit a wall. There is more that you can do as a writer. You, mm. you can collaborate with actors. You can, you know, essentially that do-it-yourself thing yeah. is just so important for anybody who's trying to, you know, kind of make it in show business. But um, I think writers get kind of like into a, a, a they frequently have that feeling of like painting themselves into a corner where there's nothing left that they can try like they've they've done their script they have their pitches you know they feel like they have their samples but their contacts just aren't getting them anywhere new it's like well then make something you know collaborate with an artist and make a web comic do something crude and do it on your own Mm -hmm. um you know put drawings up on your twitter um or, you know, uh, I think Amalia Lavari had um, a Tumblr where she wrote little little things that would fit on Post-its. Hmm. And that got her her first manager. Interesting. So there's Absolutely. always a way that you can, you know, it's not even like necessarily about promoting or marketing yourself. Because the great thing about that stuff is that's where you get to be purely original and purely creative. And you yeah. don't have to think about marketing or promotion. You can just be like, where's my joy bringing me or what's going to make me really happy? What's going to make me laugh to put it out there and share it with like, even if it's just sharing it with my friends. So instead of them always hearing from you, like, and being like, oh, I, you know, <laughs> I did another draft of my sample. Will you read it again? Instead mm-hmm. of that, you could send them a gag cartoon you did. They'll be much happier to and I, I think that was um, crucial to me getting, a, I mean, it it was the step that got me on South Park is I wasn't trying to make that Mel Gibson thing for any kind of career purpose. I just really hated Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. I do feel like uh, doing like a very funny rant, like I feel like when I, uh, when I've done like a couple of writing classes or improv classes there's always that prompt that comes up where it's like all right let's have you just like angrily rant like but in the funny way uh about something like you know that I don't know you have no control over or that's just like ridiculous because I feel like there's like a lot of comedy um in just like I don't know ranting about something that has a little bit of truth to it um so yeah anyway just a thought (laughs) and and emotion like just like you it's a it's genuine emotion so that's easier to connect with than a lot of times like what you're doing when you're you're writing something that you think will help you in your career is calculating yes you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. that's a good point yeah 
That's a very good point. I think, I mean, I've definitely felt that. And, um, and I'm sure other people do too, but it is hard. Like, I think what you said about, um, collaborating is a big thing. Cause like I've had conversations with writers and they all have the same sort of, um, roadblock and, uh, all the ones I know that are, are successful, they've done projects outside of just writing because then it's, it like shows. I, I like the idea. I think that um, there's a lot to be said for honestly starting like video essay channels mm -hmm. on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of a new um, frontier for like writing your thoughts down and you know and having them play out in front of people in a way that is actually engaging because nobody wants to sit down and read anything but right? you'd even be surprised though like i follow a couple of um web comic artists that are more mm -hmm. they're closer to being a writer than to being like an illustrator and they can get a lot of stuff out just with very few drawings you could just do like sure. and sometimes the drawings don't even have to be really good like you can even look at um what's what's that webcomic cyanide and uh, uh oh yeah cyanide and happiness yeah, yeah the drawings are very like i think any and it's stick figures yeah so but everybody reads it because it's always nice to have like a little picture <laughs> yeah well there was there was even like um I think his name's Ryan North doing the dinosaur comics way back in the day, webcomic. Oh, yeah. Where it was, I think, literally the same panels over and over. Yeah. But it was just insightful, smart. Or um, like XKCD, which is even more crude stick figures. But that dude is like a brilliant scientist, comedian. Like, it's it's insane. So, yeah. I mean, if you're talented, talent comes through. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Strange Planet was a webcomic first. and That's right. Yeah. That's right. And um, uh, the you know um nathan pile the creator knows how to draw but he the style that he employed for those web comics is you know i think even deliberately crude you know mm -hmm. um there's an elegance to it but i mean just in terms of like you, you don't have to feel like if if you're a writer and this interests you and say you're somebody that happens to doodle you know if you've got little guys that you do or something like that like this could be a great, this could be a great option, you know, mm -hmm. um, especially if you do think of it as like, how do you, you know, what's the minimalist approach in terms of like, if drawing's not your best foot forward, you know, then okay, but do what you think is appealing and see how you can support it with your writing. Mm -hmm. You know, is it like, a, 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 you could do a lot, for example, with like a talking head. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you, a lot of people sort of like obsessively draw them themselves with different hairdos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if you do that, like just, you know, this talking head of yourself with like different hairdos like that, mm -hmm. <laughs> that can be a, that can be a fun webcomic. Mm -hmm. I would check it out. Yeah. 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 No, there's tons of options. I, I there was a lot of um, I mean, it comes it always comes back to webcomics, but I think that that it is a very effective tool for just showing off writing right yeah um because how else i'm just yeah. gonna shoot my own horn really fast before getting back Ooh. onto the south park but literally um i recently landed my first writing gig uh freelance oh, and nice literally uh thank you so much daddy yeah it was literally my comics i was like oh your comics are great well if you yeah if you do you have 
like a script just so we we can prove to our <laughs> producer that you can write in a script format and i was like let me let me punch up that loud house spec that i wrote years ago yeah but literally they were just like i think they just wanted to like um it's a show for um for disney and they literally were like oh we like the comic i i think they just kind of like glossed over the script uh but yeah so it's all I, mean, I think everybody who is supposed to read samples would rather look at something visual that's yeah yeah and i think that's right like i, th I don't think if my buddy had brought a new script sample i had written to the south park writers room that they would have read it mm -hmm. yeah but he was like this is four minutes long <laughs> so and just watch it you know that that that's much easier um making a short so i was so glad you mentioned improv oh yeah that's the that's yeah that's another um place i think for writers to um because you have to do all the you have to write pitches you have to write your your spec scripts your sample scripts you have to do all of that stuff and have like a you know you have to have a little little portfolio of work already um, but then, yeah, you hit that wall and it's like, what else can I do? Well, it's like, okay, well, improv is going to help you with pitching. Mm -hmm. And you don't only pitch when you're pitching a show or when you're meeting, pitching yourself to get a job. You're going to be pitching in the room if you get into a writer's room. And you'll sometimes be doing it for 60 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it help to have some technique? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then on the side of like, what can you create to kind of push yourself forward? Well, write a play. If you're an in, in an improv class, you're going to be there with, um, you know, a half dozen or more actors who are just going to be just as anxious to get themselves out there. But for them, the problem is different. They don't have material. They have energy and contacts because there's typically very social people, actors mm -hmm. and, and, and energetic. So you can try to, you know, um, deploy them in service of putting something together that can help all of you you know mm. um i think there is an improv group uh, i always think about this one this one um video uh immortal dog oh my god really immortal dog <laughs> you know that what one reference immortal dog yeah of course yeah <laughs> i haven't it seen so, it it's so fucking funny i still quote it to this day i can't believe you just brought up immortal dog yeah i always think about that because it's like a minute and a half long it's so short yeah and it's it's yeah he doesn't hilarious. trust you anymore it's so fucking good yeah. yeah and it's it's um something that was uh you know put together by this little improv group and mm -hmm. the, i think the writer and the director of it went to saturday night live at some point or maybe the director did Key and Peel, and the writer went to Saturday Night Live. But it, it was such a great calling card because it's a minute and a half. It's completely hilarious, and it's unforgettable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it really is. Well, there's a lot of skits, right? Like, I mean, the internet provides an opportunity to just be funny without um, a filter, but also a barrier of entry. And like, um stuff like even like why does kids you know back in the day or like smosh like all those youtube those are all writers yeah. right mm -hmm. like they also happen to be performers 
Um, but they're writers first and foremost, I think. That's, yeah. When you're I, young, I don't know, maybe they would contest that, but I, I think. They are. Unless you have family in it or you're lucky when you're young, you don't necessarily have the show business contacts. But what you do have is everybody who's in that age range is aggressively social at that period in their lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, and with social media, you know, it's, it was, it would always blow my mind. Like, so like I grew up with like talk, like I talk on the phone and, with my friends and I would have a cord, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'd have to like sit in the living room, the whole, you know, conversation, if I had a two hour conversation. So, you know, getting to the age of social media where people have like thousands of friends or followers, and it's just because of who they grew up with and, you know, being kind of funny or popular in that form, you know, um, that's amazing. That's that's an incredible uh, asset um, and something yeah. that wasn't yeah. available. <laughs> no, it, yeah. that's true. That's it wasn't very available true. when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so gather um, your forces, kind of. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Get them behind something if you have something to share. Absolutely. Uh, so let's jump forward a little bit. Um, what was your first gig as a head writer? Or story editor. I did want to hear a tiny bit about oh, South okay. Park, though. Just, like, real oh, we, fast. Yeah, I guess we kind of skipped over Yeah, it, yeah, because yeah, we, like, I kind of took us on, like, a tangent. But um, I, don't, I would want to know kind of, like, how it was, like, working for South Park. Like, how long? And kind of, like, how was the room like? And all these kind of, like, like little details that would be really fun. <laughs> working on South Park was the best first job I could have gotten as an animation yeah. writer. Because it was, first of all, I was not i had no right to be in that room the person that i followed was um uh uh the creator of all in the family (laughs) norman lear who created um uh uh maybe like eight or ten of the biggest shows in television history his grandson loved south park and Mm -hmm. um he turned him on turned on norman lear to south park and so he, he called them up and he said hey can i come be on your staff and they were like sure because he's this incredible legend in television mm-hmm. and um in also like incredibly rich and powerful and it was funny because they didn't really have a a great rapport and so they had to fire him <laughs> oh damn that's and, i mean that's uh you gotta be you know you gotta fit the room right he, well after firing one of the most experienced people in television one of the greatest television writers in history they hired me <laughs> hey that's a that's a feather in your cap i feel like that's a flex i think it's a indication of how weirdly they hire but um it was you know a, a thorough education in just terms of like here's what a tv writer does you know mm-hmm. and um uh you know being in a room getting to pitch matt and trey are, are brilliant and funny and incredibly talented so it's just super entertaining just being there there um if if anyone's interested in how the show is produced there's a great documentary you can see on mm-hmm. youtube six six days to air and they really do it that way so you oh, show wow. up on um uh i think it's uh typically was it like Thursday morning? You show up and um, hopefully there's some idea of what story you'll work on because the following Wednesday it airs. God, that's like insane. That's so insane. I don't, I don't... 
yeah, that's so crazy. Every, yeah, everything like... from character design to boards to the mix to the music, the scoring, um, the, it's all done, and the and the animation, it's all done in, within six days. That and I, th I think that that's an impressive feat. But man, has it done a lot of damage to like the public's perception of how long it takes to make a thing. Like I, I really think that documentary fucked things up for a, a lot of a lot of. Time. I think it's also, but I feel like I don't know. It's just such a specific thing. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I see. Know that. I see what you're like, saying. It, yeah, it's not. We we know that it's a specific thing. Yeah. we know that it's do you know what what they sacrifice and and the look of the show is so simple. But also, it's twofold because people don't know how hard those people actually work even watching that documentary it doesn't quite capture because i've seen it yeah but it yeah, doesn't quite yeah, capture yeah. the burnout i agree and, and mm -hmm. i've talked to people who worked on the show yeah. other than like uh animators mm -hmm. and uh my god like it it's like they basically just work like round the clock for like two three months yeah 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 and that's not good and it's and, not a union show and it's not, I was going to say, and it's not there, a union show. They lack certain protections. On the other hand, yeah. there there is some thought put into it. They, and, and this may be for Trey and Matt's convenience more than or as mm -hmm. much as the the uh, uh, crew, but they will take um, three months off. And also they usually, or at the time at least, they were doing hiatus pay. Not for the writer. Oh, that's good. Unless it oh, was like a writer who was like with the show for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but the the crew gets hiatus pay. So they're three months on, three months off, but still getting paid. It's a reduced amount, but it's kind of like an opportunity to do your own thing during that time. Although I think yeah. you're right, the burnout can be harsh. So sometimes um that could be what they're doing with those three months. But the people that work on South Park are very often um kind of like uh cult members like and i'm not saying mm -hmm. this in a bad way they're like they're for their passion they just yeah, they, really they love being on that show and yeah the person that i talked to was working as an animator in games and uh he would just go back like he he was like yeah i work in south park and i was like holy shit like what do you do he's like yeah it's like every time they need me like i go back and i'm like but you have a job here but the job that he was working didn't pay well and probably actually a lot worse than they do on South Park. And so it was a chance for him to maybe I'm speculating, but it was probably a chance for him to like make some good money working on something that felt a little more fulfilling and then go back to the I mean the shitty games job. Dude, like South Park is so influential. Like I feel like I don't know, like it's so it's huge. Everybody yeah, it's global. Yeah, yeah, like all over the world. Like I remember like I remember watching it. Uh, I remember when I was 12 in France and that was when the movie came out and that mm -hmm. was a huge thing. It was like, everybody was talking about it. So it's, mm -hmm. and it's still big now. It's still really big now. And that was one of the, the really great things about being there um, uh, for me as my first gig was just getting to see Trey and Matt put a story together. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. what the way it would typically work is Trey would walk around, he'd be pacing around the conference room table and he'd start talking through what was going to happen as, as soon as we had an idea, which sometimes that would be the struggle is like, what's the idea of the episode? Mm. But once there was like a kind of a crystallized thought, 
um, after the agony of <laughs> landing on something, once there was a crystallized thought, he'd start pacing around the table and pitching out how how the how the the episode would move forward, and then you know two or three jokes every couple of minutes, and sort of like getting to that point where there's a joke and pitching it to the table. And if we were laughing, sometimes he'd move on, and then you know other times he'd be pacing around the table pitching out stuff that wouldn't land as hard mm. so then he'd start over again still pacing and then he'd get to a point where he'd say something like okay i have i have everything i need to the first commercial wow and he, could do that. he could time it out in his head what wise and joke wise and then he would sometimes sometimes he wouldn't say that and would just walk out of the conference room so wow. we would get there around that's, 10 that's, or 11 wow. Mm. and usually bullshit a little bit mm -hmm. um and th then that would begin and then at some point and this could happen any time like we, we we you know we would order lunch and there would be lunch and and beverages very nice nicely taken care of as a writer on that on that show but at some point he'd walk out of the conference room either before or after lunch or you know 20 hours later he'd walk out of the conference room and then go start typing mm. So wow. a lot of the times there wasn't even typing done in the room. Um, and, you know, the, the producer might have to jog down after him. It's like, oh, is it time to send the writers home? <laughs> huh? mm -hmm. Did you look up absentmindedly and be like, oh, yeah, they can go home. <laughs> did you write any of the, did you write a script or did you, uh, were you mostly um, uh, just like pitching jokes? Just pitching. Wow, just pitching yeah, jokes and story ideas. Wow. You know, should we bring in this character for this? And. Mm. but the 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 you know my my rate like you talk about a pitching rate sometimes at the room I, I have to admit my pitching rate was not great just because my lack of experience I really didn't even know and mm. I, I other good advice that I had received was if you're not a hundred percent sure when you're just starting out you can't get into too much trouble for being quiet like they want to hear mm -hmm. from you they'll want to hear pitches they'll want to hear ideas and jokes they're not going to get mad at you if you're quiet you know um so if you if especially since you're if you're starting out it's fine to kind of read the room take that time to take the temperature of what plays and what doesn't play and um i was there for half a season mm -hmm. so it wasn't that long and uh I, I i remember one of the like the pitches that i'm certain that was me that got in wasn't even a pitch i was we were waiting for the meeting to start. I think Trey wasn't even in the room yet. And I turned to Matt Stone and I asked him if he'd ever seen this crappy TV show called Man from Atlantis. <laughs> and I started ragging on it. And uh, just because they're, you know, uh, we were waiting to begin. Um, it was a very silly TV show that was on. It was kind of like an Aquaman, mm -hmm. but for 70s network television. So roll low budget. Um, one of their special effects for one of their bad guys was literally a disco ball. <laughs> like, oh no, they're in the room everywhere. <laughs> Those little <Yeah>. lights. <laughs> <laughs> so I was ragging on the show. And um, then come to find out that next Wednesday, the episode opens and one kid turns to another kid in the cafeteria, the mi minor characters, and says, uh, you ever see that show, Man from Atlantis? And I was like, I, that wasn't a pitch. <laughs> uh, I love it. That's so funny. I think, yeah, what's great 
about what you're saying is like kind of like you can't get in trouble for being quiet it's a really interesting thing to hear because I remember we had an episode previously with uh Sean Blaze who told us like I, when he was in the room for the first time he really wanted to show that he could participate and he was talking all the time and that got him into trouble <laughs> yes yeah I think that's that's something that uh can happen with green writers is this feeling of like so you are there to talk that is the reason why you're there um they and and your boss will want to hear from you but very often they know some of what they're doing mm -hmm. and even getting that out and kind of um field testing it with your room is going to take a lot of time yeah and it also takes a lot of concentration so the main thing is to be keyed into what is the conversation the showrunner or if it's a head writer that's running the room or whoever's running the writing it's like what is the conversation that they want to be having being keyed into that mm. and i think of it as like that game we all played with um a balloon when we're little um, i don't know what that is where you try to keep it from touching the floor i see oh okay yeah so you try to do that with the conversation you try to do that with story mm. sure mm -hmm. that's a good metaphor mm -hmm. if you think of like how can i keep everybody's also like everybody's mood in that state too because mm -hmm. things get dark when you start like running out of ideas so mm. how do you keep everybody from you know just shitting on each other <laughs> mm -hmm. like let's find a way to like ask some questions that are fun sometimes you'll you'll just have to tell a bunch of really dirty jokes or something like that just to get everybody's mind off the things you know and mm -hmm. get back to a place of like okay we're just enjoying being here mm -hmm. And then if you're enjoying being there, then you can kind of return to the task at hand. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But it can be a, a problem if a green writer is feeling like they want to be heard and they're not really tracking what that conversation is and how can they contribute mm -hmm. and how can they also almost... stay out of the way when things are getting done? Because if things are getting done, you just don't want to say anything. Right. I feel like that's almost... Uh like a, a more general piece of advice that like i i've noticed i feel like saying less is usually gonna be more because like a confident person is gonna stay quiet until they have something good to say if you're insecure and you're trying to prove yourself you're gonna go on and on and that that applies to a lot of things and i feel like if you just if you are like calm and you wait for the right moment that it's going to mean a lot more than if you just like Babylon and, and fatigue everybody who's listening to you, they're going to start checking out. Yeah. A hundred percent. And also that's a hundred percent descriptive of most of my life. <laughs> sure, same. Yeah. Anxiously and insecurely babbling. Yep. But, but um, I like, think a lot of the yeah. things that, that are good writing room practices are actually great practices for collaborating in any way shape or form uh, yeah. like even if like you have somebody who's coming to like put a new roof on your house yes anding them is good <laughs> mm -hmm. yep i mean that's from that's improv. true that's very true yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh yeah, same principles um similar i yeah. uh yeah, i wanted to transition into you talking about uh head writing and story editing and um the way that i'll segue that boobity boop um, something that I find interesting about like leading a room and, and to connect it to what we were just talking about is like letting, letting things, um, 
deviate away from because you know you're sitting there you're trying to crack a joke you're, or you're trying to like crack a story you're trying to figure out a funny bit but i have seen it even when you and i were working together like we would go off on tangents for like 40 minutes talking about something else and when you're in that moment and you're trying to get stuff done like for me it's it starts to get like oh shit oh shit like we're wasting time i used to feel like that but then i realized that you know you let your mind rest for a minute and sometimes that weird tangent conversation will unlock something and then you solve the problem completely not in a way you thought. And it's like a weird thing, you know, like you would be tell we'd be talking about uh, the like Planet Panic pilot or something. And like you would tell me a story about some childhood thing or we would be complaining about somebody. I don't know. And then suddenly it's like, well, like, yeah, well, you know, they're just like some people just do that. And then it'll like, oh, wait, that's what the character should be doing. Like, and that's it, it's just funny how you got to let the room like breathe a little bit. Um, yeah. Is there any other like techniques or sort of things you've learned from trying to control a writer's room? Yeah, I think my style is very um, specific to like what works for me. So it won't work for everybody. But okay. for me, it is all about encouraging a lot of this. Actually, I did pick up from Carl Greenblatt. Um, mm -hmm. And that is that was the first um, head writing for animation job. Um, I did there. I did. A, I was a head writer on the Aquabat Super Show before that, which oh, was live cool. action. But we worked mostly with yeah. freelancers and there was animation, but it were just shorts. Um, so Harvey Beeks was the first animation head writing gig. And I talked, we, Carl and I talked about how, cause he was going to be very present in the room and he was, and it, and he's the greatest and one of the greatest people to have in a room. Um, we talked about how he'd want the room to run. And for him, the most important thing was that everyone would feel like they could contribute that feeling that like there isn't a bad pitch there isn't um and even that there isn't a, an irrelevant question or an irrelevant you know uh tangent like he just wanted it to feel super comfortable like it's a joy to have a conversation with these people and so i come here every day and it's fun it's fun to talk and in the process a story is created you know um that works really well for me i can i can definitely like be the drill sergeant when it's needed like okay we got to be on task um animation schedules are are always about crunch so there's no question that you know sometimes you have to pull everybody together and and just kind of snap to it and that kind of stuff but honoring everybody's individual contributions and just making everybody feel basically making everybody feel like you want to hear what they have to say and they should feel totally comfortable to say anything is for me a method that um and you can expand it, it it's a method that works best because i think then the joy comes through and people are really excited about what they're doing so you know you're more likely to get the work on time with that extra effort put in that's how i view it i view you know collaboration and support as being um the best ways you know if you're talking about a collaborative medium mm -hmm. so 
likewise, even in terms of like, what stories are we going to do? Like, I'm always going to ask a writer, what's the story that you want to tell? Obviously with these characters in this, you know, format in this world, but what's the story that's personal to you? That's the one that I want to see a writer do. And so then uh, coming back to the position of like running a room, you, what you want to do is enable and support that. Okay. We're, we're talking about your story now. Where do you want to take it? Like, you know, maybe if it feels like there's not enough conflict, what conflict does the writer feel like, you know, is going to drive our our main character to make some interesting choices, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you bring it back to them and say, um, if this is based on your life, like what actually happened? You know, can we can we go back to the the real events? Or if it's coming from their imagination, it's like, well, what makes you laugh? You know, what's going to make, what's, what's the choice this character would make that would make sense to you? What's the choice you would make if you were them? Um, so always asking questions like that and never like trying to get ahead of, of what it is that the writer is excited about doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that's huge for me. Um, there's also like those kind of like, uh, um, I don't want to say common sense, but there's like some basic cool stuff that was handed down to me um, by other writers that I think is like uh, just kind of oral tradition of like sometimes writers will will share with other writers a, a few of these things, a few of these ideas, like never pitch a problem, pitch a solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is one of my favorites is it, often you hit a point in a story where it's not working Mm -hmm. um maybe it's just not working for you maybe it's not working for the whole room but talking about something calling it out for for the fact that it's not working talking about why it's not working and stuff that tends to be if we're thinking about that balloon metaphor tends to be something that lets that balloon to hit the floor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but if you come in and say hey instead of what we have here have we thought of this or in addition to what we have here, what if we try this, you know, mm-hmm. um, op- opening, opening it uh, up to like approaching a problem with a what if question. Yeah. And instead of uh, like, well, here's, a, here's this way, this isn't working, you know, um, tends to keep things like ex- exciting and fun. Mm-hmm. and um and also you don't get into that case of like well somebody brought that idea so you're you're knocking their ego yeah mm-hmm. you know another one of those is never never knock a pitch so yeah. somebody has an idea don't tell them it's bad <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> you can always yeah, pitch I mean, something else even even the bad ideas sometimes have a kernel of like something good like you just have to work it right Absolutely. Yeah. You want to say what, what was behind that idea? Is it perhaps fixing something that I didn't know was, was broken or adding something I didn't know was missing? And then can we plus it, you know, um, Mm -hmm. um, a a big thing you want to look out for if you're in writing rooms is you don't want to keep pitching the same things. Yeah. Um, And so if you catch uh, a writer and they're and they're doing that then you may have to point out so it's usually you don't you don't want to be negative but you may want to point out like okay we have actually considered that and we talked about it and 
we've moved on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So sometimes you do have to do that. You do have to kind of mm-hmm. share with the writer that the thing that they thought was going to fix it isn't, isn't quite the fix they thought it is. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, so let's uh, jump ahead a little bit just because we're getting short on time. Um, what uh, changes for your role when you go up to a supervising producer on a show? So the story editor title is kind of a catch-all title. It's come to mean head writer. Um, but you can start as a story editor editor doing some producing stuff. Like if you're a part of casting, if you're a part of, um, if you go to the records and you share like how a scene should be directed with the voice director or whoever's doing that gig. Um, if you're, in on the animatics and um, helping with the editing, um, or if you're participating in in uh, scratch or directing scratch performances, then those are are producing. Um, some of those are are producing jobs or uh, tasks rather. Um, so those are things that I started doing on other shows, but uh, it's only recently that I also got the credit. Um, so it really is sort of like a natural evolution. I think a lot of people do the job before they get the title. <clears throat> Excuse me. You do the job before you get the title. So you've kind of like proven that you can do it. Um, but uh, participation in casting, uh, uh, going to audio records um, with the actors, doing any kind of directing of scratch or participating in the animatics, all of that stuff can either fall under the story editor umbrella or can make you a producer. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you absorb a lot responsibilities when you get to that level, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot more than just writing. Yeah. And I think like producing is also like, a, you know, a huge part of it is also like that stuff that goes into show creation, but you're just doing that as part of like what, what's required as being a writer. So for example, with Harvey Beaks, I remember, um Carl had an enormous amount fleshed out of what he wanted um but when we got to the parents he was like I don't really have anything for the dad mm-hmm. and so coming up with like what Harvey that that came that became a task of the writing room to come up with like what Harvey's dad was all about in particular he had a, a few more thoughts about the mom so there's like show creation stuff that you would also think of as as kind of maybe producerial if that is a word (laughs) Uh, we're we're gonna make it a word (laughs) officially a word Uh, officially a word Uh, we had some questions Uh, let's start with the questions on our discord Um, from user Nick Uh, hey Donnie I often struggle with comedy in my script so I was wondering if you had any advice about tapping into your funny bone to deliver solid jokes thanks hope you're having a good day Oh, great question. I think it's, I think it's really hard because like if a joke is known to work, then it's been done before. Mm. So you do have to create jokes and um, you have to keep in mind too, that if something is too familiar, that it'll feel like, uh, you know, it it won't make people laugh because we've, we've seen it before, but if it's too strange, then they won't even know they're supposed to laugh. Mm -hmm. so you have to i think approach it very much from like 
I am looking for gold. I am looking for new, new things. Um, and one way to approach it is like what makes me laugh and not what makes me laugh in media, but in life mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. make sure you're keeping like a journal of those things. Uh, again, I'm, V, I'm really glad you mentioned improv because that is a great place to go to in terms of like, how do you develop your own sense of humor? Honestly, they'll yeah. provide techniques. Yeah. I was gonna say, uh, sorry, <laughs> I cut you off, but uh, um, when I took the improv class with UCB, um, they make you read the UCB manual, improv manual, and it's so great. It's so great for character comedy, and I wish I had this book recommended to me twenty years earlier because <laughs> it's like I always knew had like an idea what a story she'd feel like I feel like very early on people will teach kind of like inciting incident like very plot driven techniques but character comedy is never really taught in school you know in creative writing most of the time and for me that was improv it was like oh they figured it out and laid it all out in a book <laughs> yeah are you talking about truth and comedy um no it's like let me google it real fast I think it's literally called the UCB uh improv manual because I took improv with UCB oh it's, okay it's like a red book with the mask on it uh okay I don't know that one uh which but it sounds great um yeah. I would also recommend truth and comedy um which they I think they they that came out of second city Oh, that's um, why it's because I haven't done Second City. Uh, okay. So I, I don't know their teachings. I've done the UCB one and they they're, each they're, have they're their little. Related. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they have related approaches, but um, that's definitely going to be very helpful. I mean, I like I'm kind of obsessive and freakish about gathering people's like comedy theories. Like I think mm -hmm. Seinfeld said it's it's about taking an illogical proposition and arguing it to its mm. yeah, you know, yeah kind of logical conclusion it's a, a really mm -hmm. interesting uh, way to think of it yeah um, um and and but i think what you said is even more important v is like bringing it back to character mm -hmm. yeah so what are the character choices because you have to have funny characters you have to you have to come up with a character that has something funny about them mm-hmm um, and that's also something that we talked about a lot in Harvey Beaks and Carl is really, uh, Carl Greenblatt's really great at both doing it and explaining it. Um, but Harvey's, uh, uh, and Harvey's a terrific example. Like his, his, uh, uh, it's, he doesn't want to be cool. He thinks he's cool already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's such a good like, yeah. twist on yeah. that whole thing. To be a guy that wears cargo pants. And is yeah. constantly concerned about safety protocol, <laughs> doing things correctly, being polite. That is cool. And being 100% certain that he's the coolest kid on the block. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, that's very and cute. And that's another one um, I think Carl mentioned is um, a character that sees themselves one way, but the rest of the world sees them another way. Yes. Sure. I love that. Don't we all? Um uh user kitty fries asked do you have any advice for anyone that wants to write in general like a book course recommendations etc you guys touched on it a little bit um yeah but i'd say the the main advice is to write all the time okay mm -hmm. like that then then the writing can lead 
and as, as, as especially if you're able to devote devote hours to it like i love being able to sit down sometimes and not know what i'm gonna write um it doesn't happen often but when i can do that something interesting always comes out so if you can commit time to just writing and that's actually also when things really changed for me is just setting aside some time and making it not just you know the thing that i was embracing as a, a medium or a form or a career but as a practice mm -hmm. as something to be done every day whether or not i have an agenda that day uh this is actually probably a good time to ask our favorite question which is how you deal with creative block and what does it feel like for you um well i think that i have faced burnout more obviously than any kind of creative block tv's been really great for me because when i was writing screenplays before i got into writing for tv um i'd have all the time in the world to write something and because i was doing it for myself um even if i had deadlines it was still plenty of time by comparison to the pipeline that television is television gives you deadlines and when you have the kind of deadlines there's literally no time to be like to get writer's block it's just, yeah yeah it's just not possible professionals get to work <laughs> yeah so you just have to push through it essentially and like you know the, probably the easiest answer is just write something bad just mm -hmm. don't worry about it just write anything mm -hmm. it just it can be complete garbage and you just keep pushing through it and we're un, un we're kind of like less and less as a culture familiar with pushing through things that's that's what has to be done and th the funny thing is like that doesn't really work for burnout so mm -hmm. burnout you have to employ a different tactic um and i think i think of that as being something that when you're working in tv is actually like a bigger challenge and for burnout you you have to find a way to refresh your soul <laughs> yeah 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 so it's a lot harder <laughs> yep laugh crying that's right true. now <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Um, pretty pants asked, I know you can't really teach someone how to be funny, but how to avoid being cheesy. Hmm. Uh, interesting. You know, it's a good question. Uh, what I'd leap to is that everybody's got a shit detector in my freshman year at film school. That's an idea that was introduced to us by our writing teacher. Um, uh, uh, uh a guy named Howard Enders. He's like an Emmy award winning documentary writer. Um, but he was a, like one of these, uh, New York guys, I'm pretty sure he's Jewish. You know, so like kind of sit on his stool, all like hunched over and bundled up into this, like very tiny little old kind of ranting Jewish man yeah. ranting about writing. And he'd say like, each of us has a shit detector. You know it because you know, when you're watching something else and you think it's garbage. <laughs> and so you just have to be as harsh with what other people do with your own work <laughs> yeah 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 and if you're holding your own work up to the same standard as what you expect from others then well two things happen one is you're throwing out a lot mm -hmm. but if something feels corny to you you're you're calling it out you're saying okay this you know and that happens to me a lot with my own work i'm like i have just written a cliche <laughs> mm -hmm. so i am going to i'm going to have to you have to be um kind of like uh uh, fearlessly uh, uh, ready to edit 
just yeah. you know be ready to just throw everything out and start from scratch um you don't have to get there from there you know kind of thing like don't be convinced that to make your character do this they have to do that you have to you know really be just as tough on yourself as you are on that new lord of the rings show or the new <laughs> <Rings> show. <laughs> yeah um we had a question on our twitter um from at shavistian one Despite being short-lived, can you tell us what was the process of making sweet and heartbreaking moments on Harvey Beaks as opposed to your comedy-driven work? It's actually similar to the previous answer, which is if like it was going to make us um, have any kind of feeling, then we were hoping it would work the same way for an audience. And um, I think that the process in terms of like storytelling is similar because you want to... Um, take the audience to like with a spongebob episode you'd want to take the audience to a moment of sort of like peak hilarity mm -hmm. so you find all the different little building blocks that'll you know get you to a point where you'll be laughing um but with uh, uh telling a story that provokes different reaction it's that same thing being emotionally open and emotionally aware to what would do that to you with the characters and then just being unrelenting about the the editing process to make sure nothing is taking you off course. The trickiest thing I think with that kind of writing is you want to write something that has emotion but not sentiment. And I think what sentiment is, is when you're bringing an idea of what someone should feel. Oh, interesting. And you wanna pair that back and pair that away. So it's it's the pure feeling. How would you how would you describe the idea of what someone should feel like would you could you, i know this is kind of a tricky question but could you come up with the like an example to illustrate that idea i try to um i think it's difficult but a lot of it is about like where can you remove the dialogue and let mm -hmm. the characters and their actions speak for themselves and i'm thinking of a harvey beaks episode from very early on and um a pitch that i had where we were uh, it was the one where Harvey's uh, everyone goes up up the tree and then they they realize they're a far like way up the tree um, and they the, the parents show up and build like a giant leaf pile that the kids can safely jump into but they have to take that leap that leap of faith that they won't be hurt mm -hmm. and Harvey's the last one he's up there all by himself and he's he's scared he doesn't want to jump and we thought about like, okay, well, how do we share with an audience that his friends are getting him emotionally ready to take this leap of faith? Mm -hmm. And I so, you know, thought to myself, well, they have to be with him. He's not gonna be able to, they're not gonna be able to get him there by not being there. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't think of anything they could say that wouldn't sound corny. Um, so then I realized, all they really need to say is take your time. Hmm. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. And there you go. And then nothing else. And the, you know, there's we have we had the luxury on that show to have moments that could play out silently. And you just seeing time go by and Harvey getting more and more ready. That's really good. That yeah. It's like it, it's an obvious solution that you wouldn't think of right away because yeah i feel like writing generally pushes you into like t you know taking action and like the right 
thing needs to happen for a thing to happen, but that's not really the case a lot of the time. That's great. It's a combination of the things that I learned in film school and on SpongeBob, where we were always coming back to that, like, you know, the dialogue takes the air out of the moment. You know, what, what yeah. can, how can we convey this, this moment visually? That's so true. I feel it's really interesting that you mentioned that. Cause I, I remember I was, um, I forgot if it was in an article or like writing seminar type of thing that I went to, but um, it was like, uh, I think a quote from the showrunner of Dexter and New Blood. And he was saying that like, he really liked working with the uh, main actor because uh, often what he would say is like, can I do this scene, but without the dialogue and that mm -hmm. often it would work much better. And I'm like, mm -hmm. huh, you know, it's like such a good thing to think about. Cause it's true. Like sometimes you're like, writing and you're like so worried that people aren't going to get it so you're like having the characters mm -hmm. say what's like happening or like and yeah. it's so yeah. cheesy or like this is how i feel or like <laughs> yeah. go back to the cheesy question you know yeah and yeah yeah that's great limitation right. breeds creativity yeah that's there's the a clint eastwood story too where he was on the set of a fistful of dollars and um he you know is a kind of like a mercenary character that winds up making a big sacrifice to protect a, a woman and her child and you know in the script she had a, she, she asks him why he's doing this and he had this long story about hmm. some someone you know that he was in love with and the child they had together and it was very involved and Clint Eastwood went to the director Sergio Leone and said can I just say because I knew someone like you once <laughs> nice and it's so yeah. much more effective. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, from at Phage Gaia, what's the most common things you see employees do that would instantly make you consider firing them? <gasps> I saw this on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one cracked me up. I mean, I'm rarely in a position where I, I either hire or fire. <laughs> but in the animation industry, I, I think it's one thing that could be kind of reassuring for people to know is it can actually be kind of hard to get fired. Usually That's true. a lot of companies have a certain amount of protocol that has to be followed. So in many cases, you'll get a warning first and that, and that can be nice. And, you, and as long as you're um, hitting a certain bar of achievement, um, it's not that your job will be safe. It's just more that like, if you're not excelling, it it's more, might be more likely that you won't get rehired as mm -hmm. opposed to like getting fired. So you're often given a lot of room and a lot of time and space to improve. Um, but the things that will get you fired quickly are not showing up for work, mm -hmm. not turning your work in on time, mm -hmm. um, uh, being very, very frequently late, um, actually being openly hostile or weird or mean. <laughs> I mean, you have to be pretty, pretty, pretty extremely that i think because there's a there's a lot of allowances for just personalities in animation and if your work is really substandard like just not performing on the same level as everybody else but even with that one you're you're typically getting warnings um and then there's often a chance to improve it's just you know can be hard to do that if you're just the wrong fit for the show but um uh, often uh, you can even ask for feedback if you get into that kind of trouble and people will tell you exactly what you need to do. Mm -hmm. For sure. 
Uh, and then the last question is from at Alley Cat. Favorite dog breed and why? Um, well, I love mutts. <laughs> <laughs> I love mutts the most. Um, because they they you know they're all completely unique. There is like a visual thing with black or chocolate Labrador retrievers that just kind of clicks with me right away but i can't that's like speak a dog for, that's yeah. a dog ass dog yeah those are yeah, they're they're doggish dogs for yeah and i i think i had a black um lab when i was a kid um i think we don't know for sure what the breed was this dog i had for a brief period um also my mom gave the dog away <laughs> oh, oh, no. so <laughs> uh, i definitely have an affinity for for black and chocolate labs in a visual way but i can't speak for their personalities <laughs> yeah and your dogs are little mutts right one of them is a, a boston terrier my wife is obsessed mm. with that breed and they're so charming and sweet um we get along great with boston terriers but the the other dog is either a rat terrier or combination or a mutt um and uh uh, uh i think with with mutts you you get a a personality that's just so loyal oh they're just yeah yeah they'll teach you what loyalty is that's really sweet that's really sweet um what kind of goals do you have for the future either in your career or in your life also i've um kind of been like either like a number two or number three in command um uh for an, a, a few of the last jobs um, which is a great and very privileged position to have. Um, sometimes it's so great just to not be the one in charge, but <laughs> <laughs> I've yet to have my own show. Um, and I'd be very excited to create something. I'd be very excited mm -hmm. to run my own show and be able to pull together a crew from all the talented super people I know. And also to, you know, uh, have the creative challenge um, would be really exciting to have the creative challenge of, um uh not having someone whose show it was to answer to so that that way it, i really get to try out the ideas and naturally you'd still have like executives and um you still have an audience to answer to but you know when you're everybody works on a show is there in service of a the show runner and creators mm -hmm. conception and so it'd be a pretty fun creative challenge to get to be the person that defines what those what those parameters are right. um but i have a lot of ambition i want to write movies i want to write novels um i, I would love to get to do like my drawings are bad but i'd love to get to do more drawing <laughs> <laughs> maybe do sure. web comics someday like we were talking about i mean at this yeah sounds like you want to. Yeah. You, you were very excited about the idea of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love it. Are you more, um, cool. are you more, because you worked in both adult and kids, would you, are you more inclined to um, pitch or do kids or adults? Well, my, I, the current thing that I'm going to bring around is a kid's idea, mm. but I think it's, I'm agnostic as to the, demographic and mm -hmm. it's more a question of like what's the idea i feel mm -hmm. like i'm very idea based mm -hmm. 
And if the idea is one that needs to have an adult audience in order to have its complete expression, then that's the road that idea has to go on. So I have ideas in both areas and things that I'm pitching in 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 both areas. Really cool. cool. I love writing for kids though. Like um, it doesn't make as much sense business wise. <laughs> 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 um, well because uh because adult usually is like writer's guild versus animation oh guild, sure, sure right sure. It, it's, it's exactly true and also yeah. even um in some cases in order to avoid doing the writer's guild what uh some producers of adult shows are doing is writer's guild rates not counting the residuals hmm. but through tag so hmm. even if it's through tag, sometimes you get a better rate. Tag is the animation a, guild. Yeah. Sorry, the animation guild. Yeah, so yeah, yeah sometimes um even even uh a show that's being done through the animation guild, you can get a better rate for it if it's a, if it's intended for a grown-up audience cuz it's dumb, but there's just precedent for paying better for writers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Well, that's the end of this creative block. Donnie, thanks for being our guest and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I love the, uh, I got to take a screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you guys have here. <laughs> These drawings you guys did are amazing. Oh, thank you. And also thanks to our listeners. Follow us on Twitter. It's at creative block, creative without the vowels, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask for guests. Huge thanks to our editor Clements for editing the podcast and Malik for helping us produce the show. If you love our show, then support us on Patreon. Becoming a patron gets you early access to interviews as well as bonus episodes. Click the link in the description of this episode. I've been your host, Gene. And I was B. Keep being creative and we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye.